Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. And welcome to the Muni Lowdown. Today is Tuesday, April 14th. We've got three interesting stories by two of our reporters. We've got from Chicago, Illinois, DebtWire Municipal's Caitlin Devitt, who will discuss Preston Hollow Capital's legal campaign against Nuveen that will still continue with the firm seeking monetary damages and possibly a fresh antitrust claim after a Delaware Chancery Court judge last week found Nuveen guilty of unlawfully interfering with Preston Hollow Capital's business relationship. Caitlin also talks about the Provision Cares Proton Therapy Centers for Knoxville and Nashville, Tennessee, which asked bondholders to approve a three-month forbearance on payments to give them time to, to negotiate a debt restructuring. And finally, we've got our reporter in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Ava Lorenz. She will look at how Puerto Rico is expected to lose over $1.2 billion in tourism revenues in this year due to the coronavirus pandemic, including $300 million in hotel revenues, a situation that may impact certain bonds that are paid through hotel occupancy, taxes, and casinos. Good morning, Caitlin. How are you? I am good. How are you? All right. How are things? Um, again, I know it's a broken record, but uh, how are, are you guys uh, staying safe out there in Chicago? I mean, we are, thankfully. So, you know, another day in lockdown. Um Hopefully, like the rest of the country, we're just kind of watching to see when we're going to peak and, and you know, start to think about moving past this kind of crisis phase. Right. Well, you and everybody else. So let's keep our fingers yeah. crossed. So let's talk about um, a story. And like most of us in Muniland, we've been closely following a lawsuit between Dallas-based Preston Hollow Capital and mutual fund giant Nuveen. They compete for high-yield muni bonds, and Preston sued Nuveen back in February of 2019, accusing it of trying to block it from the market by organizing all the major broker-dealers against it. Finally, after a year, the judge ruled last week. What did he decide? Well, he decided that Nuveen was guilty of unlawful interference with Preston Hollow's business relationships. That's one count. Preston originally brought four counts. Um, the defamation count, which we can talk about later, has been kicked to the Superior Court. He, the judge, whose name is Glasscock, Sam Glasscock III, declined to rule on um, the count of an antitrust count of violating New York's antitrust law. And we can talk further about that. And um, he'd already thrown out another one, which was a interference with contracts. So he found Naveen guilty. And like you said, it's been a year. We've all been waiting for a very long time. Um, he'd indicated earlier, late last year, that he was going to find Naveen guilty. So it wasn't a giant surprise, but there it was. It was a 60-page ruling, came out late last Thursday, right before Good Friday. And um, it was a pretty strongly worded pretty strongly worded ruling, really kind of taking Nuveen to task. Um, a couple of quotes from it. 
He says, quote, Naveen was not simply attempting to achieve a competitive edge. It meant to use the leverage resulting from its size and the market to destroy Preston Hollow. And if you recall, um, the the trials and the, the testimony relied a lot on these telephone transcripts. Preston Hollow fought for, successfully fought for the release of these telephone transcripts between John Miller, who's Nuveen's um, head of Muni's, which is he is sort of this the central figure in this, and some of his deputies, and other bankers and brokers in the in the Muni market. So the transcripts were kind of highlighting these conversations in which Nuveen was sort of threatening to pull their business from these other banks if if the other banks didn't stop doing business with Preston Hollow, and the judge really went after. It, when they came, when when those guys came up for trial, they defended it as saying, "Well, this is bluster. It's real typical to the muni market. Everybody knows we were just blustering. We weren't, um, we weren't actually threatening. We were just, you know, kind of pretending to threaten." And the judge really went after him in the ruling for that. And um, so here's another quote from that, where he said, "Their testimony was generally." that institutional investors and their bankers speak in an argot of forceful misstatements that all parties involved know is posturing so that no real untruth is conveyed. Perhaps far more likely is that institutional investors like the rest of us yahoos make statements of fact, (laughs) true or false with the intent to be believed. So that's sort of more mildly worded. He kind of really went after, went after them for saying that some of that was just bluster when, when, um, when actually he said that they were speaking the truth. So he found him guilty. Hmm. Now, I know uh, you said uh, the, the judge, Sam Glasscock, and at, at earlier on, he had already ruled against Duveen, uh, which, you know, we knew that was coming. But at the same time, were there any other surprises in this case? Well, it was, the, so the big thing that came out of it was even though he found them guilty, he didn't. He declined to penalize them in any way. So that wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it was. It is sort of you know interesting, and it is kind of a surprise. the The reason why partly this had taken so long is he had repeatedly ordered them into mediation or asked them to try to mediate their own settlement because he had said it's going to be real difficult for me to grant Preston Hollow's um, request for injunctive relief here. He couldn't kind of, he'd said sort of openly, I can't quite figure out a way to do that without maybe impinging on Nuveen's, um, Nuveen's ability to conduct business lawfully and, and its free speech and all of its other, all the other aspects surrounding that. He couldn't quite figure out how to do that because Preston Hollow didn't ask for monetary damages when they went into this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So, so even though we found him guilty on this count, he declined to um, grant Preston Hollow's requested an injunction against New. Nuveen. And he, you know, he said that basically Preston Hollow failed to show a likelihood of future harm absent injunctive relief. He said, you know, um, Nuveen's agreed to stop doing this. They've agreed to stop organizing this boycott. So um, there's really no way for me to grant this injunctive relief. He said, he suggested in there that if they'd asked for monetary damages, um, which they're now going to start to do, which we'll talk about in a sec, if you want um, then he would have granted that, but the injunctive relief was very difficult. So that was a little bit of a surprise that it sort of backed off, um, that he backed off any penalty. And that allowed also Nuveen, because they both, of course, very quickly, late Thursday came out with statements, you know, and and that allowed Nuveen to sort of even praise it, saying that, you know, 
that, you know, there was no real penalty here. So I think they used a word like heartened or pleased or something. I can't quite remember about the judge's ruling. So that was a bit of a, that was, that was a bit of a, if not a, a surprise, sort of an interesting aspect to it. Right. And definitely, I was going to ask you that next question, as you alluded to, I was going to ask you about, <clears throat> excuse me, the monetary damages. And basically, I'm going to ask you what's next, because this is sort of a long and complicated case. It's been going on for like, like you mentioned, a year and all the market participants looking for it. And that's, that's to me was the most intriguing part when you, when we first started covering the case that President Hollow was not asking for monetary damages. But like you, like you alluded to, that's what, sorry. So going forward, tell me what's the, going on forward uh, with this case now? Well, so it sounds like it's going to continue in a couple different ways. Um, as I said earlier, the defamation in July, Glasscock had said that the defamation claim, it was better suited to the Delaware Superior Court. And so they 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 um, sent it to the Superior Court. And then at that point, the parties agreed to kind of put it on hold and wait until his ruling on the other counts until they move forward with that. Well, obviously his ruling came in. So now they've got 30 days to file, the parties have 30 days to file um, briefing uh, schedules. So that's, in other words, that's going to get started and they are going to seek monetary damages in that. So that's going to be the next leg of it. We're going to watch the Superior Court. We're going to start reporting on that. We're going to find out what the schedule is coming up. And, um, and again, that's going to kind of hone in on this man monetary damages thing. In the statement that Preston Hollow put out after the judge's ruling, they said that his ruling, you know, really vindicated them and also really strengthened their case for monetary damages. The other thing we're going to possibly see, they haven't decided, they said they're talking to counsel. I wrote a story about this yesterday, is uh, pursuing that antitrust claim in either New York court or even in, on, um, in federal court as a violation of the Sherman Act. When Glasscock declined to rule on the antitrust um, claim, he said, among other reasons, it was sort of because it was unclear whether or not under New York law the, the uh, they could grant the injunctive relief. Again, it got all caught up in this injunctive relief question. So he declined to rule on it. And so they're going to continue to possibly pursue it either in New York or even in federal court. So we're going to wait. And I'm not sure of the timeline on that, but we'll see if they're going to continue to go anywhere on that. Right. And and after waiting a year, we th I thought there was some closure to this case, but I guess not. It keeps going. So uh, very interesting. It but I know going. you'll keep us surprised. Yeah. It, it'll keep us surprised at what's going on. Thanks, Caitlin. Sure. And uh, hold on. We're going to come back to another story uh, of yours in a few minutes, okay? All right, and now we'll move on to San Juan, Puerto Rico, where Eva Lorenz is reporting from. Eva, how are you down there? I, I am fine, thank you very much. Everything, everyone. In the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, everyone's staying safe? Everyone okay that you know of? Yes, yes. Good, I'm glad to hear that. All right, well, speaking of Puerto Rico, um, since you're our, our dedicated reporter down in, in the Commonwealth, how has COVID-19 impacted the Commonwealth? Well, you know, unlike most of the United States in Puerto Rico, the stay-home orders were decreed on March 15. Uh, for most citizens, this was about one week after the first suspected case of coronavirus was detected. Uh, currently, all non-essential businesses are closed and many people but there are many people working from their homes but also there are 
are a lot of people who have lost their jobs. Um, having said that, the shutdown, of course, has put Puerto Rico's economy in intensive care. Uh, the number of unemployed individuals has gone up. Uh, we have more than 300,000 people seeking unemployment benefits. Um, many businesses are saying they may not be able to open, even with some of the financial aid that uh, has been provided by a local stimulus bill that totals uh, $758 million, as well as the Federal CARES Act, which is providing about $3 billion to the U.S. territories to manage the coronavirus. Uh, pandemic. Um, a, st a recent study done by the firm uh, Studios Technicos, which is technical studies in English, uh, found that the losses that we have incurred so far are the equivalent of 5% of the internal gross product or more than $5.8 billion. And to make matters worse, we have an economic task force that uh, the governor recently created uh, to work out a long-term economic plan to bring the economy back up, but that economic task force has said they have they don't have a plan yet. And of course, the lockdown was extended to until May, so obviously these numbers are slated to change. So um, I know you wrote a story recently about uh, specifically in the tourism industry. Uh, I'd like to ask you, how much money was lost in the, in the tourism industry and also what effect could it have overall? Well, um, yes, we wrote, uh, I wrote that Puerto Rico is expected to lose about $1.2 in tourism revenues in 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic. That includes uh, $300 million in hotel revenues. Of course, this is going to impact hotel occupancy rates and casinos. Um, the, the shutdown has already impacted luxury hotels and then also short-term rentals. Now, the, uh, the, this information was provided by the um, PMO, the Puerto Rico Destination Marketing Organization that is called Discover Puerto Rico. Um, the occupancy rate taxes, uh, the occupancy taxes, I'm sorry, uh, which is a 7% room tax that is charged for stays of less than 90 days and is submitted to the Puerto Rico Tourism Company, um, is used to pay uh, some of the island's debt. This includes $458 million in Puerto Rico Convention Center and District Authority bonds. And also the revenues from casinos are used to pay the bonds at the University of Puerto Rico bonds. So obviously that income is not there. As a matter of fact, the University of Puerto Rico said today it has already lost $65 million from uh, the Commonwealth funds it receives from the slot machine collections or casinos. So um, obviously this is, a, this is just an example, but those numbers in terms of tourism revenues are slated to go up when you take into consideration the money that Puerto Rico is losing as a result of the impact that the virus has had over the cruise ship industry, which is not going to come back the same way as it is now. Uh, Puerto Rico charges a passenger tax that is also used to uh, provide certain incentives that the, the port authority gives to cruise ships. So obviously, uh, it, this has been a terrible blow to, to the tourism industry. Mm, definitely. And 
before I ask you my last question, so let me just recap what you just said just now. So basically, the tourism industry is expected, expected to lose $1.2 billion, correct, did you say? Yes. Yes, and, or more, and, and the, or more. Right, and, and, and you said the important part was that the revenue that was supposed to come in was supposed to, rep was supposed to basically uh, back certain bonds, whether it's um, hotels or casinos or UPR, correct? Yes, it, it backs the, the, the Puerto Rico Convention Center District Authority bonds, uh, University of Puerto Rico bonds. Uh, mm -hmm. of, of course, there are other taxes that help pay for some some of the other debt that Puerto Rico has, but tourism specifically, the revenues from tourism uh, are used to pay uh, convention district authority bonds and uh, University of Puerto Rico uh, bonds too. So so those specific credits are be, being the most impacted. Mm, very interesting. All right, so let me let me get to my last question. I'd like to know, Ava, what other sectors have been affected by this? Well, the hospital sector has been terribly impacted in great measure because they're not getting, uh, they are not receiving health insurance payments. Uh, that is their biggest complaint because of the uh, the shutdown in general. Also, the shutdown of retail businesses and educational activities, as well as the impact of the supply chain, has already been estimated at $2.5 billion. Uh, for the local economy. And remember that we have been in lockdown since March 15. So we're talking about uh, um, the loss that is expected and we've only been on lockdown for about a month or so. Uh, the greatest impact, however, will be in Puerto Rico's efforts to restructure its debt and get out of bankruptcy. Uh, all economists and business people are saying that the assumptions under which certain debt restructuring agreements were negotiated are no longer valid because government revenues have gone down because of the shutdown. Uh, the Financial Oversight and Management Board, which is, represents Puerto Rico in its bankruptcy process, recently asked for a stop in the evaluation of the um, Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority's uh, debt deal and also the preliminary agreement that would, would have lowered uh, the $35 billion in central government debt to about $11 billion, uh, as well as, as, as lowering the employees' retirement system uh, bonded debt. So all of this means that Puerto Rico may not be able to get out of bankruptcy as expected which uh, later this year, as it was expected. So that uh, certainly has, uh, has put a dent on those efforts. Yes, definitely. And basically you're talking about like everything else pretty much in life. A lot of things will be delayed due to the worldwide pandemic. But listen, Ava, I thank you for your time today. Thank you for your work. I hope you stay safe down there and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. All right. Kaylin, welcome back. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So uh, you had a very interesting story uh, you wrote about last week. And when I first saw the headline, for some reason, I was thinking of Ghostbusters, uh, proton <laughs> packs and, and ooze and slime, but not quite, obviously. So <laughs> um, last week, you reported on a pair of struggling proton centers. Uh, then can you so first tell us what exactly proton centers you mean in your story and how are they financed? 
Sure. Maybe you're thinking of the lasers or something in Ghostbusters. I don't know what, oh, yeah. what Sorry. conjured that. <laughs> um, so proton centers are cancer treatment centers, and they use a type of targeted radiation therapy to treat cancer patients. Um, I think that that's mm. sort of the, the hook of them is that it's real targeted, so it doesn't damage kind of the surrounding tissue. It supposedly hones in very um, quickly on the, on the tumor. And they've been around for a while. Um, they're very expensive, generally speaking, and they are these standalone mm-hmm. centers. For a long time, there's about 36, I think 35, 36 in the country, some under development. They've gotten more popular in recent years, but they've been around for a while. And originally they used a lot of bank financing, kind of traditional sort of private financing. But a lot of them have hit uh, headwinds and had problems. I think that, you know, from talking to people they started out, a lot of them were real big and huge and sort of expensive and sort of unwieldy, um, you know, in terms of size, they could be as big as Walmarts. And the exp- the equipment is very expensive and often the revenue projections fail to live up to, I mean, the revenue failed to live up to projections. Um, and so... So since in the last several years, they've started to move toward municipal financing, you know, going through conduits. I think most of our listeners kind mm-hmm. of understand how that works and um, going through conduit government issuer to access the tax exempt market. And so they've obviously been able to lower borrowing costs with the tax exemption, but also um, a lot of the a lot of the centers have become smaller and um and more and less expensive and sort of more nimble. So when you talk to sort of industry advocates, they they play up that sort of aspect of it. Well, we've learned and we're kind of doing smaller and more nimble, um, more nimble centers and and being real careful about where they're located. So that's what they are. I see. Very interesting. Now, Kaylin, I have a two part two prong question. I know you wrote about uh, two credits, and I want to know what the problem it is with them. And also is the second part of the question is, is it, was it driven by the coronavirus pandemic? Um, sure. I, and the answer is yes and no, like everything else these days. Um, so this is a pair, they're both in Tennessee. They're called Provision Cares Proton Therapy Centers. One's called Provision Cares Proton Therapy Center in Knoxville and the other one in Nashville. Um, and they are run by Provision Health LLC, and um, they have asked bondholders for a 180-day forbearance on payments because they want to restructure their debt. So basically, they they and they were going to be contacting bondholders last week to formally ask for that. But a couple of weeks ago, they held an, an investor conference call where they proposed this. That they said they said that they were going to do this. Um, they want that time off, that, that 180 days to suspend payments so that they can figure out a way to restructure their debt. And the restructuring would include, you know, sort of what we think of as typical restructuring plans, which could be exp- extending the maturity reducing to, and reducing principal or interest, modifying the covenants, maybe even private purchase of the bonds. And there's lots of other proposals, but they haven't gotten there yet. They want this forbearance first. So in terms of your second question about the coronavirus, um, that certainly aggravated the situation, but these centers um, have been weak for years. They've seen weak revenue. What I was saying earlier about failing to hit revenue projections, that happened big time with these guys. They were like, 
um, I can't remember the exact numbers, but they were like 76. One of them was 76 and one of them was almost 60% below revenue projections. The, the projections that were included in original bond documents, um, they're that much they're that much below it. So they really are coming in way below um, where they anticipated, at least in the bond documents. Then they've seen further pressure from like, uh, they, they expect to see a reimbursement, a reduction in reimbursement rates from Medicaid. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be another pressure point. And they just see a lot of sort of different pressures that have gone on that have, that have, um, that have led to lower volume, which has been the main problem. And then with the coronavirus, they say it's really exasperated problems. And I think, I mean, it's interesting talking to different people. I think people are waiting to see the fallout on the sector in general from the coronavirus. But for these guys, they were saying that they think it's going to possibly lead to at least a pause on treatments and possibly lower volumes. So that's going to, um, that led to this sort of crisis where they asked for this forbearance and then they're going to try to do some sort of debt restructuring. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, those are big drops. So, and I got one last question. I, I know you sort of uh, mentioned earlier uh, with the word headwinds. Do the the two credits you mentioned, their problems indicate headwinds for the sector in general? Well, I think that sort of depends who you talk to. When you talk to advocates, they say no, or they say it's too soon to tell in any case that, you know, some of the other ones haven't seen any or at least haven't reported any volume drops, um, any patient volume drops. I mean, so at least not yet. But I think it depends where they're located. And you are starting to see some material notices for sure on Emma where they're talking about, like, let's just say, for example, equipment providers can't, can't you know, maintain maintenance repairs for the for the equipment during the coronavirus. So there's all these kind of different angles where they could um, where they could see pressures. In general, I would say the sector is pretty pressured. It really operates on thin margins. So I think that there's a pretty good chance that and also it's related to healthcare. And so, for example, if you look at how many doctors are tied up in um, caring for covid patients and and they might not be able to refer cancer patients because they need to be referred to proton treatments. Um, they, so mm. they, the referrals might be down and that's really key. New patient referrals are like super key to the sector. And another thing is, as we know, a lot of cancer patients are immunosuppressed, so they might not feel comfortable going right now. A lot of this is prostate cancer and other cancers that might not need immediate treatment. So they might be holding off on traveling to proton centers because they don't want to um, expose themselves. So I would say like a lot of the kind of, this is a generally high yield unrated sector. And like a lot of those sectors in Muniland right now, we're going to have to wait and see a couple more months to see how it comes. But um, I mean, it's definitely an area we're going to keep our eye on because like I said, thin margins and a tough business. So we'll have to wait and see how they handle it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've sort of um, pretty much hit the nail on the head. So many sectors in, uh, are affected that, like you said, we'll, We'll wait and see in the in the public finance act in the public finance field. But Caitlin, as always, thank you for your work. Thank you for your time today. All right, as always, thank you. All right, take care. And that is our show for today. Uh, thank you to Caitlin David for two stories uh, from the city of Chicago. 
and Ava Lorenz, our reporter in Puerto Rico. Thank you to our producer, Christian Ayala, who always makes us sound good week after week. And as always, our, our listeners out there who tune in week after week to DebtWire Municipal's The Mini Lowdown, the latest on distressed mini credits. Uh, as always, stay safe out there, especially in this day and age. And hopefully you'll be tuning in again next week to hear our latest on uh, Muni Bonds. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market. <laughs>